The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. Last week we studied as Peter was addressing the, elder of, the elders of these churches, the spiritual leaders, the pastors, encouraging them to shepherd the flock of God among them. Um, what that looks like for elders, what their motives in doing that should be. That's where we were last week in verses 1 through 4. This week, Peter turns now to address the whole of these congregations. Every one of them, and in turn, every one of us, with a simple yet very difficult command, and that is to humble yourself. Humble yourself. What we see in these verses is both the instructions that we are to humble ourselves horizontally and to humble ourselves vertically. Here's what I mean. Here's what Peter means. We are to humble ourselves horizontally as we relate one to another that our relationships together, our interactions together should be marked by humility. And we're to humble ourselves vertically before a mighty God as we come to Him in humility. Peter says it this way, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. This is the the horizontal humility that that our relationships should be marked with. Humble yourself towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That's vertical humility as we humble ourselves before God so that At the proper time, he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We first see in these verses a horizontal humility one to another. Peter begins by addressing those who are younger, commanding them to be subject to the elders. Now, there are a few important things to note here, and there's three in particular that I feel are important. And the first is, as Peter writes and says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, um, is that when Peter talks of elders here, he's not talking about older people. I think that's probably the common way that this verse is used and common way this verse is understood. And while it certainly is true, those of you who are younger, that you should have respect for those who are older than you and you should um, find yourself in subjection to their authority, especially those of of your parents um, and teachers. But here, elders is not just those who are older. Peter's not saying younger people be subject to older people in the congregation as it is, comes in terms of age. We can't make a jump 
from the verses that come before to verse 5 and understand that in verses 1 through 4, when Peter talks about elders, it's clear that he's talking about the pastors, the shepherds, the overseers of the church, and then say in verse 5, he's talking about old people. Now, here's a, a, a good point that I hope drives home how we should look at and study our Bibles. This is one of the greatest benefits of preaching uh, consecutive exposition verse by verse through the books of the Bible. Because what's king, church? The context is king, right? And so if you just land in here and you grab 1 Peter uh, 5, 5, and you say, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders, you're going to think that's old people. But it's not. The, The context of what Peter's saying gives understanding to the verse. The context here is that of of elders being shepherds, pastors, and leaders. That's the first thing to note. The second thing to note is that everyone is to be submissive to the elders, not just younger people. So you can't look at this and say, well, this means then only those who are young should be subject to the elders. Either young in age, you know, chronologically, just a young person, or young in, in your faith. Um, that is not what this verse means, that only the young people are to be submissive to the elders. We see in other places like Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. As for those who will give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be no advantage to you. The writer of Hebrews commanding all of us, regardless of age, to, to understand that it is God who sets apart pastors, shepherds, and leaders, and we are to um, submit ourselves under their authority, regardless of age. Nonetheless, Peter does single out those who are younger in verse 5. And it makes me wonder and ask the question, why is Peter doing this? And I think there are, a, there, there are a couple of potential answers. Um, and there's a lot of debate as I was studying these, these verses. I, I can pretty confidently say that we don't really know for sure why Peter singles out younger people. There are some that say, and it certainly is true, that younger people tend to be more resistant to authority. As you grow up and as you get older and you have more experiences and you learn that there's a whole lot that you don't know, then you naturally, as as the wisdom of age comes, you aren't as resistant to authority. Uh, Young people tend to be more more headstrong. That's that's true. Um, And so... uh, a lot of folks have said that that's why Peter said this, because young people can be more resistant to authority. Certainly true. It it also could be that there are some issues going on in these churches that we don't know about. That there's some issues here of younger people resisting authority of the elders. We don't know. That's, That's sort of what I think is probably going on here, is that there's some things in this church these churches that Peter is aware of that we're not aware of. And so he's, he's taking time to address specifically those issues. That is, that is not uncommon. We walk through the book of 1 Corinthians together 
And we saw as, as Paul addressed specific issues happening in the church of Corinth. Now, just because there were specific issues happening in Corinth does not mean they're not uh, apply to us or authoritative to us. And just because there may have been some issues in these churches as it pertains to younger people submitting to the authority of their shepherds, that does not mean that this doesn't apply to us. It does apply to us. And we see in this... Um, A good reminder that we are all called to submit to the authority of the elders of the church. I'm going to say that again and I'm going to emphasize one word. We are all called to submit to the authority of the elders of the church. And understand, when I say the word all, I include myself. Because though I am an elder of this church and a pastor of this church and a shepherd of this church, I am not the only one. And I am a man with authority under the authority of these other two brothers who serve along with me to serve you. And they, while they have authority, they are also under authority. No one is beyond authority except God himself. No one. And so this is a a good reminder that we're all called to be submissive to godly leaders that God has put before us. I could preach a whole sermon on this um, and just for the sake of a disclaimer, let's just make sure that there is clarity here that there is submission to godly biblical leadership, not blind following of um, unbiblical, detrimental leadership, all right? We're not just blindly following people, but as God gives discernment, we follow those he has put in uh, leadership over us for our care. They are watching over our souls, and, and we will give an account for it. Peter is, is calling these younger believers these younger people, to be subject. That's the language he uses. Be subject to the elders. That is to line up under them. It is to put aside self-promoting pride and willingly and respectfully place themselves under the leadership of their shepherds. This is, this is to be subject, to put yourself under, to line up under. This isn't anything new for Peter. Peter has addressed the issue of submission to authority multiple times throughout this, this letter. We saw it in chapter 2. We saw it in chapter 3. And so Peter does it again here in chapter 4 or chapter 5 saying, Younger, line up, put yourself under, be subject to the authority of the elders. That is and exercise in humility. But Peter doesn't just stop with his instructions to those who are younger, but he moves to instruct all of us. Where he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. We are called to clothe ourselves with humility. This is... Horizontal humility one to another. What then is humility? Right? Because that's, that's the question we ought to ask. When Peter says, clothe yourselves with, hu- with humility, what is humility? 
And there are, there are lots of, of definitions out there, but I feel it is helpful to turn to the Word of God to receive a definition for what humility is. And in this definition, we're going to see that humility is both an attitude and it's an action. It's an attitude and an action. You see it in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3, where Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is the definition, the biblical definition of humility. It's what you see in Philippians 2. You see that humility is an attitude. Paul says it this way. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That is an an attitude of the heart, right? When we talk of selfish ambition or vain conceit, those are attitudes of the heart that Paul is saying, don't do these things, but instead count others as more significant than yourselves. Those are things that happen in your heart. Those are things that happen in your mind. Those are things that inform the way that you think about yourself and about other people. That's attitude. But it's not just attitude, it's also action. In verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. What does it mean to look for out for your own interests? That means to be actively working to provide things for yourself and for your good. That's what that means. And so Paul says, do nothing out of, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility and lowliness of mind, count others as more significant than yourself. That's happening in your mind. That's happening in your heart. And then as you live your life, look out not just for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. It's to act on their behalf, to work for the good of of others. Now, of course, you need to care for yourself. That's not what What Paul's saying is don't care for yourself. Of course you need to care for yourself. And you need to look out for yourself to a certain extent, right? If you don't work, you don't eat. If you don't eat, guess what? You die. That's what God's Word says. I mean, you're you're called to provide for your family, provide for yourselves, look out for yourselves um, in a godly way, but not in a way that exalts you over other people, but with humility to look out for others' interests. To look out for others' interests. This is the same idea that Peter has in mind here. When he commands us to clothe ourselves with humility. This is an, it's an interesting phrase that, that Peter uses, right? But Peter could have just simply said, be humble, Right? But under the inspiration of the the Holy Spirit, he didn't. He said, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, this this word for clothe yourselves is um, an, an important one. It means to tie something on yourself. That's what it means. To clothe yourselves, it means to tie something on yourself. 
which is a, it's, a, it's a strange and very specific word in the Greek to tie something on yourself. Now, what in the world does that mean? Like a, like a tie? No, here's what it meant. It was the picture and the imagery of putting on a servant's apron. But not just any kind of servant. This is the word that was used and what came to to mean and to be understood as the household slave's apron. So when, when Peter writes, clothe yourselves, all of you with humility, what he is saying is, all of you, every single one of you, think of yourselves Prepare yourselves. Act like a slave. Act like a slave. Clothe yourselves with humility. Just as a household slave in their days would tie on the apron to serve their master for their good and their prosperity, so is Peter, so is God calling us to put on the garment of a slave, to put on humble service for another person's good and their gain. Now that is tough. I mean, that's when you think of it that way, that's, that's for me, that takes on a whole another meaning. To lower myself, to humble myself, and to prepare to work for the good and the prosperity of another. That's what it means to be humble. That's what it means to clothe ourselves with humility. This idea of clothing yourself with humility, of tying on the garment of service, is personified in our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what He did, literally clothing Himself with humility before his disciples. John records it, John 13, starting in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Now, what is that? That is a statement of ultimate authority. If there was anybody in the world who had ultimate authority, it is Jesus Christ All things have been given to him and put into his hands by God himself. He came from God and was going back to God. Ultimate authority. Yet, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. He tied on the garment of the slave. He clothed himself literally in humility. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, the man who just told us to clothe ourselves with humility. He comes to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. 
And Jesus answered him, If I did not wash you, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And when he washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place. And he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is no greater than the master. That servant there is a slave. The slave is no greater than the master, nor is a messenger no greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed, or blessed are you if you do them. Simon Peter got to see and experience firsthand the king of all authority, humbling himself, tying on the garment, clothing himself with humility, washing his feet, serving him, and then saying, just as I have done, now you go and do. When Peter writes to us and he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. I I can't say for certain, 100% sure, but it sure seems likely to me that Peter had this in mind. This image of the Savior serving us, calling us to serve one another. This is humility personified. This is how God calls us to relate to one another with humility of mind and action. Now, this kind of living is totally against our sinful nature. It is totally against our sinful world. We live in a world and we have a sinful personal nature. Every one of us, don't act like you don't, that wants to put ourselves first. This kind of life is hard and it is difficult and it is costly. So why in the world would we want to live this way? Well, Peter answers that question, and he does so in a quotation from the Old Testament, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34. Peter says it this way, For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is a quotation from Proverbs 3, 34. Not a direct quotation, but a quotation from there. Proverbs 3.34 says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. To the humble he gives favor. Why live a life marked by humility? Why should we willingly tie on the clothing of a slave? Because God will give grace to you if you do it, but he will work against you if you don't. God opposes the proud. This means that God sets himself up against the prideful. God opposes the proud. He sets himself up against. You know what this is? These are fighting words. That's what this is. God opposes the proud. He sets himself up against the the proud. Let me ask you a question. Who's going to win that battle? God's winning it every single time. He opposes the proud. Why? Because God hates pride. 
He hates it. Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. Why is God so opposed to pride? Why does he set himself up against the prideful? Why does he oppose the prideful? It is because when we are prideful, we put ourselves in his place. When we're prideful, we put ourselves in his place. We think that we are the ones who earned it, or we're the ones that deserve it, or we are better than another. And we stop living and believing and understanding that everything is from God. It's all from Him. The only reason why we have anything in this life is because God's grace gave it to us. The only reason why we have any authority is because God's given it to us. It's all from Him, but yet when we respond in pride, what we're doing is we're putting ourselves in a place that only He should have. And God knows this. Do you know how God knows this? Because God knows Himself. God knows, God understands that He and He alone is the only one worthy of all praise and honor and glory. God knows He is before all things. God did not create us because He was bored. God created us for His glory. And when we live with prideful, arrogant hearts, we live for our glory and not for His glory. And He hates that. Because He is jealous for His own glory. Well, doesn't that sound selfish? Here's the thing. You can be selfish when you're the greatest thing that there has ever been. You can be selfish. God has every right to be selfish. Because who could he put before himself? Nobody. Nobody. God hates pride. The very first sin can be traced back to pride. What was the temptation for Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree? Don't you want to be like God and know good from evil? A sin of pride. And they put themselves in a place that only God deserves. God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Isaiah 57, 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy places. And also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly to revive the heart of the contrite. Psalm 138, 6, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Job 22, 29, For when they are humbled, you say it is because of pride, but he saves the lowly. Proverbs 22, 4, The reward of humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Matthew 5, Jesus himself, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God's grace is for the humble. Both his saving grace and his sustaining grace. You cannot receive the saving grace of God unless you humble yourself before him and admit your need for a savior. 
You can't. You cannot come to salvation apart from humility. You can't get there. Because it demands from you, God demands from you, the acknowledgement that you have messed it up. And you are sinful, unable to save yourself and in need of His rescue, His redemption. Saving grace cannot come apart from humility. It cannot. And neither can God's daily sustaining grace. Every day, every day, the reward for humility and the fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. That is the sustaining grace of God. Clothe yourselves, therefore, with humility, one for another, because if you don't, God works against you. But if you do, God works for you. Isn't that motivation enough to live with humility, one for another? Peter doesn't stop there. He says, also, humble yourselves vertically with God. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. What is this, this, again, this is just interesting language that Peter uses here, the mighty hand of God. What is this mighty hand of God? You see the, the hand of God, the mighty hand of God, the right hand of God, the outstretched arm of God all throughout the Old Testament. This imagery. Here's what the mighty hand of God is. It is God's unstoppable action in human affairs. It's God's unstoppable actions in human affairs. Do you know what that is? You know what that's called? Sovereignty. The mighty hand of God is God's sovereignty. It is his unstoppable action in human affairs. That his will, his purposes, his plans, his desires will not, cannot be thwarted. They cannot be stopped. Mighty is his hand and he controls us. That's the mighty hand of God. Exodus 13, 3. Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery? For by the strong hand of the Lord, he brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. The strong hand of God brought you out of this place. What was the strong hand of God? It was, it was God's mighty acts, God's mighty works. Through the hardened heart of Pharaoh, whom God hardened, and the outworking of his power displayed in plagues. It was his unstoppable action in human affairs. He could not be stopped. It was his mighty hand that brought them out. 1 Samuel 5, 6, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. The hand of the Lord, the mighty hand of God. When we humble ourselves before God and his mighty hand, his sovereign power, while we are lowly in this life, we can rest assured that exaltation is coming. Right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, understanding God's unstoppable actions in human affairs, His sovereignty. Humble yourselves before Him, 
the Almighty God. For what purpose? So that at the proper time, He may exalt you. Now, there's a load of literature written about what the proper time is. There's loads. There's a lot of debate. I think I can simplify it because I was reading all that and I thought, you know what, let's just, let's just boil this down. What is the proper time? Because someone said the proper time is when Jesus comes again or the proper time could be in this life. But here, you want to know when the proper time is to be exalted? It's his time. That's the proper time. The proper time is his time. It's when he decides that we'll be exalted. That's the proper time. How can we know that? Because mighty is his hand. That's how we can know. Mighty is his hand. The proper time to be exalted is when God decides and determines that we will be exalted. That may be in this life. He might exalt you into places of authority. But he might not. That exaltation for most will come at the end. It will come at the end. It could be that God is ready and is willing and has determined to exalt you out of your trials and tribulations. Or it could be that He's not. It could be that your exaltation will come after this life has passed. Either way, guess what? It was the proper time. It was His time. Here's the biggest struggle, I think, for us, if you don't mind me speaking for you, is we have a hard time with that. Like, we've got to be okay with that. I mean, you, remember, let's not lose sight of the, the greater context of this letter. This is a church undergoing immense, unthinkable persecution and suffering because of the, the cause of Christ. And what is... God's commanded them, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he might exalt you. And listen, church, there were believers who were together hearing this read and who were eventually burned at the stake. There were believers who heard this read and were fed to lions for the enjoyment of others. And it would be easy to look at them and say, where was the exaltation? But we have to be okay with the fact that the exaltation may not come in this life, but it is certain in the next. When we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Now, what is the direct everyday application of humility, both horizontally one to another and vertically under the mighty hand of God? What is the day-to-day application of humility in the light of God's sovereignty patiently waiting for exaltation? What is the application? Peter gives us casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. This is a church certainly is full of anxiety. They're, They're entering into the greatest persecution the church has ever seen under the emperor Nero. 
Certainly full of anxiety. Would you be full of anxiety if, if every week you came to church and our numbers were dwindling? But not because people decided to go to the, the hip new church in town, but because they were killed. Like we would have anxiety. But it's not only those great levels of anxiety, there's everyday levels of anxiety that we deal with. There's anxiety in humbling ourselves. There's anxiety that comes in suffering. There's anxiety that comes in medical diagnosis. There's anxiety that comes in wayward children. There's anxiety that comes with difficult spouses. There's anxiety that comes with jobs that we don't love. There's loads of anxieties. What do we do? What do we do? We humble ourselves one to another. We humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And in doing so, we rest assured on the promises of God that at the proper time He will exalt us. And as we do that, we cast our anxieties on Him. This is the word for casting a net, throwing something over something else. We throw our anxieties on Him. Because he can handle them. It's what Jesus said. Matthew 11, all things have been handed over to me by the Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is taking our anxieties and casting them on him. Putting our yoke, putting our weight putting it on Him and taking His and understanding that His burden is easy. It's light. It's light. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. He cares for you, church. Some of you need to be reminded of that today. God cares for you. This, when we get to the point to where that just doesn't floor us, something's wrong. The creator, the sustainer, the eternal, forever existing, God cares for you. He cares for you. He cares for your pain. He cares for your suffering. He cares for your heartache. He cares for your difficulties. He cares for your anxieties. And he's not asking you to work your way out of them. He's not asking you to do miraculous things. All he's asking you to do is to humble yourself before him and to cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because church, he cares for you. He cares for you. And his care for us is not like the world's care for us. Because the world's care for us is dependent on what we can do for the world. The world's care for us is dependent on whether we deserve it or not. But God's care for us, it's not like that. We can mess up, we can blow it, 
And we all do, but guess what? He cares for you. Your circumstances may not show it. Your diagnosis may not show it. But you can rest assured today, He cares for you. So cast your anxiety on Him. May we humble ourselves horizontally one to another and vertically under the mighty hand of God so that we can rest with peace in our trials knowing He cares for us and He gives grace to the humble. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.